So shall we pray. Father God, as we look at this incident, we pray that you would teach us, and please would you teach us how to pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Lent begins on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, and as we begin to prepare this season, we look at a pretty dramatic encounter with God. Peter, James, and John, three of the first followers of Jesus, go on a mountain with Jesus, and they get far more than they bargained for. And while I would be surprised if any of us have a similar sort of encounter, at least this side of death, I am going to draw out three things that I think can help us in our own prayer. First of all, the importance of coming away with Jesus. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. Peter, James and John have been led up the mountain. In some of the icons of the Transfiguration, this one is by Theophan the Greek, and it, it, I, I just love it um, because it's got so many little bits in it. But here you have on, on, on the uh, left of the icon, you have Jesus with Peter, John and James. They're going up the mountain. And on the other side, you have Jesus with Peter, John and James, and they're going down the mountain. There's nobody else with them. It's just them and Jesus. It is really good to have time when it is just you and Jesus, or just us and Jesus. I know that we can pray at any time, but the danger is that when we say that we can pray at any time, it often means in reality we pray at no time. And if our relationship with God depends completely on praying as we feel led during the day, then there is a danger that all we will have is snatched conversations with God. We need to put aside solid time to be with God. To go up the mountain with Jesus, or as Jesus said elsewhere in Matthew 6, to go into your room and shut the door when you pray. Just as we need to put aside good time with a friend if we're going to grow in our relationship with them. So it is extremely helpful to find a daily time of prayer at a time that works for you. Many Christians have put aside time in the morning or the evening to be with Jesus, even if it is just 10 minutes to begin with. Whether it's morning or evening will depend on whether you are a, a lark or an owl, a morning or a night person, because we need to give God a time when we are awake. I cannot overemphasize the importance of having a daily time when it is just you and Jesus. My Christian life was transformed when, as a student, I read a little booklet called The Hour That Changes the World. And as a result, 
I started to put aside an hour each day for prayer. Now, I was a student and I was studying sociology, about which people were very rude in those days and about which people are still very rude today. And they said, and I have to say it was true, I had plenty of time. <laughs> you almost certainly won't have that sort of time. But I would encourage you to put aside 10, 15 minutes each day to pray. And for those 15 minutes, try and be a part. Maybe it's, it's travelling on the metro and you put on some headphones. Or maybe you can find a quiet place in the flat. If necessary, get up a bit earlier or stay up a bit later. For me, there's something very special about praying early in the morning. Maybe if you can get away from work or, or wherever it is, just go into a church in the middle of the day. But just find the time. Put your phone on silent. And if you use it to read the Bible or to guide your prayers, set it so that you will not be interrupted. This is your mountaintop. This is the time when you can be with Jesus. And there may be times when you need to get completely away, like Peter, James and John. Maybe if you can get out into the countryside or go for a walk or a ski in a local park. If it's at all possible, go on what, what is called a retreat. Liz Spearman, um, uh, used to go on an annual retreat to a centre in Norway. Uh, and for this year, she's actually working at that retreat centre, helping them run retreats for this year. For those of you from an Orthodox tradition, you might think about spending a day or two at a monastery. Perhaps here as a church, we should try and organise a retreat, or at least a prayer day. One of the great excuses or values of Lent is that it gives us a reason to give something up, but so that we can take something else up. Nicolette was telling me that Chad Kalsmaker, the first chaplain here after the re-establishment of St Andrews, would often emphasise the fact that it's not about necessarily giving something up at Lent, but taking something up. It's just a suggestion. But why not try giving up something that will enable you to have a few minutes in order to pray? Give up social media or TV for one evening a week. In Advent, Alison gave up playing words with friends just before she went to bed. And instead she read the Bible. She's now back on words with friends. <laughs> but is also going through the Bible in a year with a YouVersion audio Bible reading plan. She's only 12 days out of date. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps you might fast from one meal a week. But don't use the save time as I often do to do some more work. Use that time to pray. We can give ourselves space so that we are alone with Jesus. 
And then secondly, authentic prayer should lead us to focus on Jesus. Notice how often, how central Jesus is. Jesus is the one who is transfigured in this story. At the end, they are left alone with Jesus. Peter and James and John would have been forgiven for focusing on Moses and Elijah. It was amazing. These were people who had lived centuries earlier. It would be as if St. Paul or St. Sergius of Radonesh walked into church now. And this was Moses and Elijah. Moses, the person who gave Israel the law. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. They were epic. It would be hard to think of two people who had influenced the history of the Jewish people more than them. But even though Moses and Elijah were there, the focus of this whole scene is Jesus. He's transfigured. His clothes are dazzling white. In icons of the scene, he's the one who's radiant. And Moses and Elijah, if you see here, only reflect his radiance. We focus on Jesus because he is the eternal Son of God made flesh. He is the beloved Son of God. We listen to Jesus because he is one of whom the Father speaks. And the Father, the voice from heaven, says, listen to him. This is my beloved Son. We look at Jesus because he is the one who loves us, who died on the cross for us, so that we can receive forgiveness and come as people who have been cleansed into the presence of a holy God. We come to Jesus because he is the one who rose from the dead, who gives us hope and new life. In morning prayer this week, we've been reading through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is quite depressing. It's the sum of human wisdom if all this life, if this life is all that there is. It tells us to live lives of hedonism, but then shows us the vanity, the pointlessness of living lives of hedonism. It urges us to fear God, but then tells us we're going to die anyway. But along with Ecclesiastes, we've been reading the end of John's Gospel about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. We come to Jesus because he is the one now who is in heaven as the exalted man who prays for us. We worship Jesus because he is the one who will, day, one, who will one day return and establish the kingdom of God. We pray to Jesus because he is our access point to a relationship with the Father and because he cannot be separated from the Father. Jesus points us to the Father. He says, when you pray, pray, our Father in heaven. By the way, just an idea on this one. Imagine praying the Lord's Prayer, but with Jesus beside you, with him also praying it. That's what he's saying, our Father. Not just our, but our with him, our Father in heaven. But here, our Father in heaven points us back to his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. 
I know that some of you come from a tradition where you pray to Mary and to the saints. But if your prayers to Mary and to the saints do not lead you ultimately to Jesus, something has gone wrong. Some of you come from a tradition where you pray to the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. But if you focus on the gifts of the Spirit or the power of the Spirit or the experience of the Spirit and are not ultimately led to Jesus, something has gone wrong. Quite often I find in my own times of prayer that I start praying about a particular problem. I think about it, I worry about it, I try to imagine how I can sort it out. And at the end of the time of prayer, I realize I've spent all my time thinking about my problem. I have not come to Jesus, and something has gone wrong. Or I find that I reflect on myself, on how bad I have been. I beat myself up, I confess my sin, I really confess my sin, I earnestly confess my sin. I say that I am never going to do that again. And I walk away from prayer dissatisfied. Because in all that I have done, I have been so obsessed with myself that I have not come to Jesus. I've not listened to him. And so I've not heard him say, I know your sin, but I love you. I love you so much I died for you. And if you're prepared to look at me and believe me, your sins are forgiven. Prayer at times may be boring or confusing. It may leave us terrified, as happens here. It may overwhelm us with a radiant joy. It may fill us with deep peace. But that is only coincidental. It is not the reason why we pray or why we don't pray. The key thing about prayer is that if we give God the space, he brings us face to face with Jesus. And Jesus brings us to his Father and to our Father in heaven. And thirdly, there are times in authentic prayer when we struggle with words. I was just looking again at this particular icon of Theophan, and, and I just love it. The three, you probably won't be able to see from where you are, but the three reactions, different reactions of the three disciples. There's James here uh, on, on the right, and he's covering his eyes, looking terrified. There's John in the middle, looking incredibly thoughtful. And there's Peter here, turning to God, opening his mouth and putting his foot in it. Peter sees Jesus, Moses and Elijah and he says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Mark writes, he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. We put aside time to be with Jesus. We focus on Jesus but then we do not know what to say. I start praising God and I either run out of words or it feels false. I start praying for something and my mind wanders. In fact, it is only if we are completely overwhelmed by God or completely in despair that our prayer is authentic. 
When we are overwhelmed, it doesn't really matter what we say. Metropolitan Anthony speaks of the person who repeats the prayer. When they were touched by God, they simply said, my joy, my joy, my joy. That's very similar to Pascal's uh, prayer that they discovered in his pocket after his death. And it simply read, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, I can't remember the exact words, but then it said, fire, fire, fire. I do remember visiting another Anthony in my previous parish who was in hospital. He was dying, and he had been gifted with an encounter with the living God. And all he could sit there was say, wow, wow, wow. He then did say, if I had known it was like this, I would have told everyone. And our prayer is also authentic when we cry out in despair. Oh God, have mercy on me. Oh God, I need you. But at other times, we do not really know what to say. As I say, we may begin to praise God and we dry up after a few words. It can help then to, to him to sing a hymn or a song. Some of us may speak in tongues. That's helpful, but after a while we start to feel we'd really like to know what it is that we're saying. Or we do not really know what it is that we should confess, or what it is that we should ask for, what it is that deep down we desire, and whether that is right. Some of you may know uh, Pushkin's fairy story of the fisherman who caught a magic fish. It was able to grant wishes, his wife told him to ask the fish for one thing, and then when she had that, she decided on something more, and then something more. She thought she knew what she wanted. Fame, wealth, beauty. But she was never satisfied. Like most of us, she didn't really know what she wanted. If you find that that is the case, then can I suggest that it can be helpful to use the prayers of the church as a basis for your prayer. Not saying exclusively, but as a basis for your prayer, a starting point for your prayer. You might like, over this season of Lent, to join us for morning prayer. Live streamed, 8.30. You're very welcome to come here in person at 8.30, but live streamed, 8.30, or on Sunday, Saturdays at nine o'clock. And uh, during Lent, we're also going to uh, pray night prayer on Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. We're going to open up the Zoom chat at about 9.15 uh, so that people can come and chat. And then at 9.30, we will pray night prayer together and then close the chat straight after night prayer finishes. Um, I've never done a Zoom service, so it'll be probably totally chaotic, very exciting, but it would be lovely to see uh, people would like to come and gather together. That will be 9.30 uh, uh, on Thursday, and for those of you who are watching from, uh, joining us from uh, overseas, that will be 9.30 Moscow time. Or there are two simple prayers that you can pray. And I hope that you will find that these are prayers that you can actually pray with your whole heart and in full integrity. 
The first is a prayer that many prayed as they came to Jesus in the Gospels. It's a very simple prayer that has come to us now as Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It is a believer's prayer because we are calling Jesus Lord. It is not a prayer that God will somehow forgive me, for he has already forgiven us. But it is a prayer that God, that Jesus will change and transform us, that he will teach us and show us what it is that we should pray for, that he will heal us or those we love physically or spiritually, that he will teach us and show us spiritual truths. It is a foundational prayer. By that I mean we pray it slowly. We think over those words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. By the way, you can think over those words for a lifetime and still get new things from them. It is not a formula. It is actually a cry to a person to have mercy on us. We repeat it until it becomes part of us, until it almost prays itself in us. And then on top of that prayer, we build our other prayers. And the other prayer is quite different, and it starts from a different place. If you're not sure about the Jesus prayer, then there is no doubt about this prayer because this is the prayer that I've already mentioned that Jesus taught us to pray. A prayer we're going to say in a few minutes, our Father in heaven, Ochanash. Again, we pray it slowly and thoughtfully, thinking about the words. And it will take you far more than 80, 90, 100 years, however many years it is, that God gives you on this planet to exhaust the meaning of those words and how they apply to us and to our heart. But there are times, and I suspect that this incident with Peter, James and John was one of them, when there really is nothing to say. We are in the presence of God and there are no words to express the reality of what we have seen or the person whose presence we find ourselves in. And that is the time when we are simply to be in his presence in all.